When it comes to depression, Christians are being told a lot of lies. If you or someone you know experiences depression, it's important that you know what the Bible really says and how the gospel can really help. Let's talk. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, here to shut down the enemy's lies in your life. I do it live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org slash live. And once again, thank you for all of our various generous friends and partners who support to keep us here. You know, this ministry is entirely donor-supported, and you help us continue to be here with our teachings and tools. So thank you. If you'd like to give and be a partner and support all that we do, you can do that at any time at kylewinkler.org donate. And also on that page, it's going to tell you about the gift that you get. You always get a gift for supporting us. It's a way of helping you as, as you help us and help others. Again, kylewinkler.org donate. Okay, this is a topic I want to handle with care. Because I know there's a lot of stigma around it. And I want to lift burdens off of people, not put more on, even if unintentionally. And I think we preachers, when we talk about things like depression, especially those who have never battled it themselves, I think we can tend to make people feel it's a result of something they've done wrong or aren't doing enough of. And often our prescription sounds a whole lot of more things to do. And all of that tends to make things worse, not better for people. Like I said, it just puts more burdens on. Now, I'll be transparent here. Depression is not something that I've battled personally, not in a long-term way, at least. I've had plenty of moments or seasons of discouragement, yes, plenty of moments of hopelessness, sure. There were times growing up where I asked God to take me. So I suppose I've had some symptoms of depression, but mine were fleeting for the most part. I know that for some of you, the feelings of despair and hopelessness and the lethargy and lack of energy, all that goes with this, haven't been fleeting, but have been with you for many, many years. So though I haven't experienced long-term depression myself, I have listened to many people who have. I've heard their stories. And that's why I believe I can bring you a message like this with humility, because I've listened. There are way too many people who haven't listened to someone, whether it's about this topic or some other experience, who are naively giving prescriptions based upon assumptions. They haven't even read a book about it, and they're making a bunch of assumptions. So as I often say, something I heard years ago, When you assume someone's narrative, you fail to hear their story. And depression is the story of nearly 300 million people in this world today. And as you'll see throughout this message, it's also the story of numerous people in Scripture. So like the other topics that I've covered in this series, this is yet another one where I can confidently tell you, you are not alone. You're not alone in this. I promise you there are people all around you. 
There are people at your work, they're at your school, they're in your family, they're even in your church, believe it or not. Well, the reason why people often think they're alone, why you think that you are the only one dealing with this, is because of the stigma. People don't want to admit that this is their experience, especially in the church world. So we look around at all the shiny, happy people in the church, and we think, what's wrong with me? Or maybe we hear stories from Sister Super Christian or Brother Better Than You about how God miraculously healed them and how they've never been discouraged another day since. Now, trust me, I don't mean to belittle anyone's testimony. But can I get real with something that I learned from both inside and outside of the church? Far too many people are either hiding their struggle or are over-exaggerating their healing because of shame. For about 13 years, I lived in a military community. Many of the men and women would come back from war with symptoms of PTSD, but they couldn't admit it to the military because they'd be discharged. They'd lose their employment, their finances, you know, all of that. So they did their best to hide their symptoms and put on a good face. And like I said, I don't mean to characterize the entire church like this, but this type of thing is rampant in the church world. When someone fears that they will be judged kicked out or labeled a monster because of something they experience, most people will either act like it doesn't exist or they will downright lie about it or over-exaggerate their healing. So we end up having a bunch of hurting people pretending to be healed, which keeps people bound, not free, and certainly not really healed. Ay ay ay. Please understand. My goal here is not to minimize the power of God in any way, but to remove the shame and remove the stigma because when that's removed, that's where any real freedom and healing begins. As I said, the experience of depression is nothing new. It was experienced by numerous people in Scripture. Even though many Bible versions don't use the word depression, now some do. Some of the more modern translations, the one I'm using here, the NLT, does. But maybe in your Bible, you might see the words discouraged or downcast or despairing instead. The main Hebrew word for these is shaheh. I said that right, shaheh, I believe. Which literally means to melt away or to sink down. And I'd say that fits the feeling that most people have when it comes to depression. It's a sunken feeling, a hopeless feeling. Well, one of the people in Scripture that you'll quickly come across that dealt with those feelings is King David. He seems to be the model for just about everything we talk about, doesn't he? And the reason is because he was super vulnerable. We have many of his psalms, which are kind of like his diary his journal, where he just lays out his humanity for all to see. And I'm thankful he did, because David was used by God mightily. He was highly thought of by God, yet we can see through his writings that he was just as human as anybody else. 
Look at Psalm 143, verse 7. David prays, Come quickly, Lord, and answer me, for my depression deepens. Don't turn away from me, or I will die. David is praying this during crisis and affliction for many of his enemies. And his cry sounds like the cry of many people who battle depression. They fear that if God doesn't do something, that they'll die. And sadly, some people have exhausted everything that they know to do, that they've come to a point where, sadly, they'd prefer to die. I sense all of this in David's words here. But look what he says next. It's going to give us a clue as to what depression isn't necessarily caused by and what it doesn't mean. Verse 8, let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I am trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. Notice that David says he trusts God and he gives himself to God. And we know that in David's case, these weren't just words he was saying. You know, as king in charge of leading God's people through many wars, David lived in a state of trusting God. He had to. Much of what he had to do was way over his head. David was a man of great faith. From the beginning, he built his faith to take down the giant Goliath because of what he had seen God do before. Remember, David said, God delivered me from the lion and the bear, and so I believe he'll deliver me from this Philistine too. David had great faith. Always did. Yet he also experienced this depression. So the first thing you need to know about depression is it doesn't mean that you don't have enough faith or that you aren't trusting God enough. I know many of you have heard the opposite regarding all kinds of subjects, but it just isn't true. Depression is not an automatic indicator of somebody's level of faith. If David could deal with it at times, anybody could. And while we're on the topic of what depression doesn't mean, it also doesn't mean that you're some baby immature Christian or not a Christian at all. When I was studying for this message, I came across numerous articles that said you can't be a Christian and also be depressed. That's just flat out wrong. And you'll see why as we go through here. Now, I know that people in the Old Testament, the examples I'm using of people in the Old Testament were technically Christians, but they were God followers. So when I use them as examples here, I think they fit what I'm trying to say. The prophet Elijah is a great example. He was used by God to deliver God's people out of corruption and suffering, and he was hated by some evil people because of it. Well, to make a long story short, when he got wind of a plot by Jezebel to have him killed, he fled for his life. Now look at 1 Kings 19.4. Elijah went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. Are you hearing a common complaint so far? Whether it's David or Elijah, both are men of God. Both are mightily used by God to deliver God's people. Both had plenty of faith. Both spent plenty of time in God's presence. Both experienced depression. The prophet Jeremiah, he's another example. His entire life was particularly characterized by depression. He's known as the weeping prophet 
God used him to try to warn his people of their impending fall to Babylon. He suffered constant rejection by people he loved. He wasn't married. He didn't have children. Yet he had faith. He had strength. All of that. He also wrestled with despair and a great sense of failure. He complained to God, why was I ever born? All of my life has just been trouble and suffering and shame. Getting to the New Testament. As I said a few messages ago, I think Peter is an example of depression. It wasn't as long-term as Jeremiah's was, but his failure of denying Jesus three times certainly plunged him into a funk for a while. Yet he was as much of a Jesus follower as anybody, spent as much time with Jesus as anyone. So in sharing these examples, and we're going to come to more in a few minutes, but in sharing these examples, my point is, the idea that depression means that you don't have enough faith or you aren't trusting God enough or you aren't spending enough time with God or you aren't spiritual enough or you aren't a Christian, like I said, it's just flat out wrong. And another thing that is wrong is that it's some demon in you. No Bible character that experienced anything like depression was said to have a demon in them or on them. Now, I know that demons can manifest themselves in various ways, but we have to look to the Bible as our guide for judging things like this. Otherwise, we'll see a devil in everything. For starters, a devil can't be in a Christian. But secondly, if you study people in Scripture who were demonically possessed or oppressed, they all had one of a set of distinct characteristics. Some of them had a complete inability to speak, others superhuman strength, others uncontrollable screaming or convulsions. They hurt themselves to the point of death in some cases. Some even had the ability to know things outside of human understanding. So that's typically what you see demonically possessed people do in Scripture or have in Scripture. None of those traits resemble anything close to depression. And besides, all of those traits left at the name of Jesus. So now I know some people will say, yeah, but the Bible describes a spirit of fear and a spirit of heaviness. And sure, the Bible does say that, but context is always the key. And in both of those cases, the Bible is not describing a spirit of fear or a spirit of heaviness as if it's a demon of fear or a demon of heaviness. It's not. It's describing a state of mind. It's like when people say, oh, so-and-so has such a positive spirit. Well, they're not talking about being possessed by a happy spirit. It means they have a positive personality or mindset. So again, a spirit of fear, spirit of heaviness, is not a demon of fear and heaviness. It's a mindset. So if you battle depression, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong in saying, go in Jesus' name. But please don't go running from deliverance minister to deliverance minister to deliverance minister trying to cast out a demon that isn't in you or on you. I've seen people go nearly crazy doing that and think something's wrong with them. All you're going to do is waste your time, your energy, maybe even your money, probably your sanity, fighting something that isn't the cause. 
Now, before we get onto what is depression from and how is it helped by the gospel, I have to quickly say one more thing that it isn't. Depression isn't a sin. It's amazing how we're still asking the same questions regarding people's issues, like disabilities and sicknesses, that people were asking, that Jesus' disciples were asking Jesus way back then. They said to Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said, neither. The fact that you experience something negative or unusual doesn't make it a sin or you a sin. Now, do we all sin? Obviously. Are there natural consequences because of sin? Yes, we all know that. And sure, you could have made some bad choices that have dominoed into some unfortunate events that have left you down and out. But most people know if that's the case. The people that I've talked to that really experienced depression don't know exactly where it came from. They certainly didn't choose it. They never asked for it. They just found themselves with it one day. I know I went through a lot here, and I know there's more that could be said, but let me summarize for you what depression doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you don't have enough faith. It doesn't mean you aren't trusting God enough. It doesn't mean you aren't close enough or spending enough time with God. It doesn't mean you aren't a Christian. It doesn't mean you have a demon in you or on you. It isn't automatically because you have sinned or are sinning. So may those burdens that people have put on you be lifted. But where does it come from then? Well, I'm not a doctor. So when it comes to the cause, all I can do is kind of regurgitate things that I've researched. But the research is pretty conclusive. That there's no single cause that's the same for everyone. There are multiple things, different for different people. Sometimes depression has to do with chemicals in the brain, hormonal imbalances, there's evidence of it being genetic. Sometimes it's onset after stressful, traumatic, or unfair life events or experiences or disabilities. If you go back to all the examples we've looked at so far in Scripture, the latter, the life events, the unfair situations, those seem to be the case for the examples in Scripture. David got discouraged after constantly facing enemies. Elijah got discouraged after hearing about the plot to kill him. Now, Jeremiah does seem to have just a melancholier, if that's a word, melancholier disposition in general, and his circumstances in life added to it. None of them, though, were their faults. The only person's depression that was onset from their own mistake was Peter's. He just couldn't get over the fact that he did such a thing. But whatever the case, whether chemicals in the brain or genetics or some sort of life event or experience that triggers it, all of these causes can be boiled down to being a human being in a fallen world. Depression is just one of many experiences in life that isn't the way God originally designed things. But who of us don't deal with something like that? 
many of our experiences in life, most of our experiences in life, I'd say, aren't the way God originally designed things to be. The fact that people wear glasses or sunscreen or take vitamins, even the fact that we wear clothes, all of these things are because we're living in a fallen world, as is pain and suffering and sickness and loneliness and anxiety and depression and on and on and on and on. But here's what God did. Because he wasn't just satisfied leaving us here to be afflicted without help. God came down in the flesh as Jesus to experience what it's like to be a human being in a fallen world. That's why Hebrews says that Jesus can sympathize with our every weakness. He gets us because he became one of us. But Jesus went on to do more than provide empathy. He died to do something about it all. He died to remove the spiritual consequences of the fallen world. And he died to be with us as we travel through and endure the fallen world. And you know, that's the case in almost every Bible story you read in which someone was suffering with some human experience. Whether depression, sickness, disease, whatever, the Bible describes a fallen human experience with God. Not without him. Not a result of his distance or abandonment. I think about some of the things that Paul said, the Apostle Paul. What he said in response to his very human experiences. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul starts out, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. Did you hear that? How he starts there? He says, We think you ought to know. Paul wasn't trying to hide anything. As a matter of fact, a good chunk of Paul's letter here, 2 Corinthians, was to address people who questioned his legitimacy because he was so weak and faced such hardships at times. You know, they kind of had people that were like our modern-day prosperity gospels people that were kind of saying, if you're struggling or you're hurting or you're in pain, it must be because you're not blessed. So Paul could have avoided that criticism and played the game, I guess, by faking it and acting like everything's okay. But no, he wanted to tell them the realities of life, as he said, that they were crushed and overwhelmed beyond their ability to endure, that they thought they'd never live through it. Things that a lot of us say. Things that sound like what people say in depression. Let's go to the Philippians, chapter 4, verse 12. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. So Paul's saying, happy or sad, joyful and depressed, rich and poor. He experienced the spectrum of it all while he went about being used by God. He didn't fear any of the bad stuff had to do with sin or a devil in him or that it was some sort of sign that God changed his mind about him. Here's what he concluded in verse 13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. 
That wasn't some statement he painted on the side of his face as a positive affirmation that he could win a football game. It's him saying that he's been able to get through all the challenges that come through and come with going through this fallen world because he knew Christ was with him and in him. God with us, God for us, that's the promise of the gospel. Like I said, Paul was very open with his issues. Later in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he talks about human beings being fragile clay jars, brittle and imperfect. In verse 16, he says, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Now, this is an instance where spirit doesn't mean state of mind. It means inner self. And you can actually see that based on the Greek word that's used there if you look in the Greek. Inner self. Your real self. The gospel is the message that Jesus crucified your old self and its sin nature and gave you a new nature, a new you, that is clean and complete and right with God. This new you isn't new flesh, though. That's not the promise. Not on this side of eternity. Now, does God heal? Does God touch flesh? Absolutely. I've seen too much not to believe it. But even when God heals flesh, flesh will eventually do what flesh does. It will die and decay someday. I mean, think about Lazarus. Jesus raised him from the dead. He still eventually died. So flesh will do what flesh will do eventually even after God heals. But what's most important, the real you, your spirit, lives on, and it lives on with God. So, what does that mean regarding depression, or any issue really? It means an issue isn't you. It doesn't define you. Because of salvation, the real you, your inner self, your spirit, it's already good. It's already justified and sanctified, cleansed, heaven ready. And knowing that the real you is good, that might actually help you with some of the practical things here on earth. It'll help you be at peace while you wait for God to do what only he can do. It'll also help you talk to somebody, whether that's a counselor, a friend, or somebody on the other side of a screen. I often say there's healing in the revealing. That's just another way to say what James said in James 5.16. Confess your faults so that you may be healed. There really is a healing power in finally being able to tell a trusted someone, hey, this is what I experience. I love God, but this is what I battle. And then to hear them say in return, I love you and God loves you just as you are. I'm telling you, there's more healing in that kind of thing than a thousand hands laid on you, than a hundred bottles of anointing oil slathered on you or shaking on the ground for an hour. But you'll never get to that step 
if you fear judgment or that your experience makes you a horrible or less of a person or less of a Christian or something. So please hear me. And this is a great concluding statement to apply to every issue that we've discussed in this series or any issue in life that we didn't discuss, and there are plenty. Whatever it is that you are experiencing in the flesh, my friend in Christ, the gospel assures there's nothing wrong with you. Okay. As I said, when it comes to deliverance of issues, whether it's depression, anxiety, insecurity, or even a bad habit, there's a lot of bad advice that's adding to the hurt not healing. And sadly, it's coming from well-meaning people. If you're struggling to get free and stay free of something, it could be because you're trying too hard. Seriously. Biblical deliverance is simpler and easier than you probably know. To help you, I've created my teaching series, The Secrets of Deliverance. It's two hours of teaching through four messages on MP3. The messages are The Devil in Disguise, Deliverance 101, Oops, I Did It Again, and Knocking Down Strongholds. This audio series, The Secrets of Deliverance, is available instantly on four MP3s at kylewinkler.org deliverance. That's kylewinkler.org deliverance. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and he is for you, and we're here for you too. Every week on my website at kylewinkler.org, on our podcast, and wherever you get your social media. Don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, to tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. I'll see you next time.